everyone, welcome back to Book Wild of the Podcast, and today we are covering one of the most fan-favorite action-adventure games to come out of Japan. It's The Legend of Zelda. As always, I'm Kate, I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And we have a super special guest back again for a second time, Emery. Hello, how are y'all? Good, how are you good, doing? Good. Doing great, glad to be back on here. <laughs> and so for this episode adrian will be leading us but we have to ask emery emery why are you here to talk about zelda with us today that's a good question y'all called me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i actually had a contributing role on a book um that some colleagues and i uh wrote and uh it is the psychology of the legend of zelda and um, I had a book chapter that I wrote uh, about the Kula Rossi stages of grief with Majora's Mask. And uh, I have been milking that publication for pro probably over a year now <laughs> by going to Texas and South by Southwest. It's funny because, like, the person who edited the book. He was like, is anybody wanting to go to PAX? And I, I'm like immediately jumping on my computer. I'm like, I'll go. Like, even if you didn't ask me to go, I'll go. Um, <laughs> So I did, I did my rounds with it, and it, it's been great, and uh, I love talking about it, and uh, yeah, it just kind of got me started into this whole weird line of research, and uh, got me to meet all these great people, so yeah. I will a say, fun, a lot of fun. the first time I met Emery was at one of his panels on the psychology of Zelda. <laughs> which which packs was it that? Was I was wondering that. It, it was, was South, South okay. 2019? Yeah. Yes, that was one of our better ones. It was because I put you in a giant room. That thing was packed. Yeah, it, yeah, was, it was it was huge. Um, but yeah, we we had some damn good panelists for it that was, one. It was awesome. I mean, excluding me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adrian, lead us through this. Yeah. So, outside of wanting to bring. Dr. Emery back, of course. Uh, the main reason why we picked now to do a Legend of Zelda episode is because Majora's Mask, probably one of the top three, top five um, Zelda games, turns 20 on April 27th. So that's why we are here. And I'm going to be leading us through today. So we're going to ask our intro question. And since there's a lot of games, and I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, the good and the bad games throughout... But what is your favorite Legend of Zelda game? And we'll start with Kate, because I can see her face already. Can I say Super Smash? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do, do you main one of the Legend of Zelda characters in that I, game? I do. I, okay, yeah, I've, yeah, always, sure, I've always been a Zelda person, mainly because I loved, I loved when she transformed into Sheik. And so Sheik is, is my girl. And uh, Smash is actually what led me to play some of the games. I haven't played all of them. I haven't played many of them, actually, um, with my brother. Because this was... Zelda was my brother's franchise. And my only big gift I've ever given him was I... When I worked at GameStop, they came out with that limited edition Legend of Zelda 3DS that was, like, black with the gold-etched yeah. Triforce. Yeah, I got him for that. He still uses it to this day. 
So that is kind of like my connection. It was one of those games that like I kind of really like connected with my brother on on GameCube. Um, but I don't have too much of a deep connection. I know enough through osmosis. Um, but this is probably one of those times where I'm going to nod and learn. Because uh, I am relatively a Zelda noob. But I got a Switch Lite today. So I will be picking up that Zelda game that everybody keeps telling me to buy. The fact that you don't know the name probably says it all. Breath of the Wild? Of the Wild? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I didn't want to be wrong. Somebody said something in it. So there was a show I was watching and this lady was scolding this other lady who didn't know the answer to something but talked anyway and she said if you don't know any if you don't know the answer to something just don't talk an empty vessel makes the log- the loudest noise oh god <laughs> and so i'm just like oh so now i just think about that all the time she was a mean lady and she was meant to be a villain but i was also like that's good advice <laughs> okay good villains make sense <laughs> okay. what about you matt um, I'm going to probably go with the 1991 A Link, Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, but the only one yeah. I can really remember playing. Um, I think about outside of that, um, I've really never played any Zelda games. Um, I can't even really remember. I remember playing it, but I don't remember much about that game because it was so, so long ago. Um, as we've mentioned multiple times on the podcast, I just never had anything for Nintendo after a certain point. I just never played Zelda after a certain point. <laughs> And that was the one that seemed to be most easy accessible for me. And then after that, it was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. It didn't come out on Dreamcast. Matt didn't play it. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> uh, Dr. Emery? Oh, gosh. You don't need to call me that. Um, uh, oh, okay. Sorry. That's all right. Emery's fine. Um, I, I'm, man, I'm in a toss-up between Majora's Mask and Breath of the Wild. I, I loved Majora's Mask, but... When I picked up my Switch, Breath of the Wild was one of the first games I picked up, and I'm a huge Skyrim fan, so uh, that resonated me with me really quickly, and it really broke some traditional Zelda norms of travel through dungeons, rescue the princess, uh, all that, all that jazz, and uh, I, I just was all about it, and I loved exploring. Um, the map was gigantic, um, so I, I think I'm leaning towards um, Breath of the Wild. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, we'll talk about kind of like some of the uh, big innovations across the Zelda series and definitely with Breath of the Wild because it was such a huge step, like literally with its map design. Um, for me, I think I'm kind of like in a toss up as well because I'm not sure if it's like the sentimental value of it, but I really enjoyed the first Legend of Zelda game on the NES because that was um, one of like the only video games my grandma ever played, my mom's mom. Um, she had like the golden one and that's like the only thing that she ever played. Like the only game I ever saw her play in all the time she was live was Legend of Zelda. And she was like really, really good at it. Um, and she would like bring it into like her classroom and stuff and we would, we would play all together. So, and it was just really, really great. Kind of like got me into kind of like these sandboxy kind of RPG type games. But I also have like a really fond place in my heart for Ocarina of Time because that was one of the games I played to death on the 64. Like, like Majora's Mask, but I played Ocarina of Time like to death. Um, that was such a staple. Yeah, I, I played that game to death. Um, I haven't finished Breath of the Wild yet. I think mainly because I watched my friend beat the end of the game, so it kind of like it's, it's killed my motivation to finish the game because I already know how like the <laughs> the last boss fight goes. Um, uh-huh. 
but but the, I need to go back and revisit it for sure because it's really that good. Did so, you start it? Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I've started it. I've started okay. it. I've put I've put about like I don't know maybe twenty ish hours into it or so. And that's like in that game. That's really not. That, <laughs> not yeah, that it's much. not that long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as we usually do, we'll do some production history. There really isn't like a whole lot of kind of crazy production history like we've talked about in some of our other games um, more recently. So we'll just kind of talk about like the very the making of basically the first game, and then we'll start getting into the some of the but why those and things like that. So if you've been listening to us for like this ten-ish minutes and you don't know what the Legend of Zelda is, who are you? Why, what what are you, have you not heard of Link and Zelda? But the series itself centers on Link, the elf-like player, character, and the chief protagonist. Link is often given the task of rescuing Princess Zelda and the kingdom of Hyrule from Ganon, an evil warlord turned demon, who is a principal antagonist of the series. However, there's been other settings and other antagonists, and sometimes Zelda's not even like in the game um, for the most part for some of these games. But that's basically the thing for that. And you're like, whoa, how does he rescue her over and over again? Well, we'll kind of talk about that at the end. <laughs> we'll talk about the timeline stuff because that's, that's a thing. So the Legend of Zelda, the first game in the series, was released in Japan on February 21st, 1986 on the Femcom Disk System, which would later become, obviously, the Nintendo Entertainment Center, the NES, when it comes to the U.S. The series itself was created and designed by, I'm going to, I mess up his name every time I say it, uh, Shigeru Miyoto? Miyoto. That's Miyamoto. It, right? Miyamoto. Miyamoto. See, I was, I was going to mess it up. <laughs> I was looking at this all. I've been, Miyamoto. I've been listening to his voice all day today. Uh, Miyamoto and Takashi. Te, te, Takashi Tezuka. Tezuka. Yeah. Tezuka. Yeah. Um, who basically are the people who have gotten us to where we're at in terms of Nintendo, mainly because the development began in 1984, and basically it's developed along the same time as Super Mario Brothers. So they're doing. Legend of Zelda and the Super Mario Brothers at the same time. And which is interesting because they're basically two completely different kind of takes to the to this genre. So Super Mario Brothers would be more of the linear um, where the action occurred in a strict sequence, whereas Legend of Zelda would be basically the opposite, non-linear and force players to think about what they should do next, which is pretty cool. because I can't think of anything else that we've covered where they basically developed two different kinds of games that were still the kind of same, same kind of game, but then would go on to be both really, really powerful and in, in the genre developed by the same people at the same time. Usually it's just one team doing one game, but they did both of these games at the same time, which is pretty cool. Uh, so according to Miyamoto, those in Japan were actually confused and were having trouble finding their way through the multipath dungeons in the initial game designs because players would basically just start with a sword in their inventory and then were like, go. And they wanted basically them to simplify the matters, but Miyamoto was like, no, no, we're not going to do that. And basically forced players to listen to the old man who gives the player the sword at the beginning and encouraged basically interaction among people to share ideas with each other, to find out various hidden secrets and things like that, basically creating a new form of gaming communication where if you didn't know how to do something, there wasn't something on the screen that told you how to do it. You had to like figure it out on your own or talk to your friends on how to do it. So um, 
I think like the biggest thing that I can see like this that's related is probably what we see now in like Animal Crossing because Animal Crossing doesn't really give you a whole lot. You're just supposed to go like go to people's island and talk to people about different things that happen in the game. So um, I think that really kind of starts here with what they're doing in Legend of Zelda. And I really just love his idea of just being like, oh, make the game easier. And he's like, nope. I'm going to make it harder <laughs> by just you getting the sword and telling you to have fun. And then from there, like, it's just essentially history. I mean, Super Mario comes out. Legend of Zelda comes out. They're both, like, mega hits for Nintendo. And The Legend of Zelda itself, the first game, would go on to sell over 6.5 million copies and was actually the first NES game to sell over um, a million. So it basically oh, wow. had a faster pace than Super Mario Brothers. But, you know, now, obviously, Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario is going to be, like, the bigger of the two yeah. franchises. But when it came out, Legend of Zelda was basically the bigger hit. So after The Legend of Zelda in 1986, the series would go on to have 19 games as of 2019 across all the Nintendo systems, including handhelds, and all of which, with a few exceptions, are pretty highly rated. There are, like, the re-releases and, like, the obscure um, spinoffs, but as far as, like, major games, we have 19 across the, all of the platforms. Basically, every Nintendo platform has a Legend of Zelda game somewhere. And then in other media, as we always talk about, there is, or there was, a Legend of Zelda TV series that had one season and had 13 episodes and is based heavily on the first game. I don't know if you all have ever seen clips of this show or if you watched the show. There's their main game. (laughs) Yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's more well known for memes than it is actually the show. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I've seen clips I don't. Of people, but I never Excuse me, princess. <laughs> Excuse me, princess. Yeah, like does doesn't like on things that don't need to be a thing. That's something that definitely doesn't need to be a thing. I don't need to have I don't need to have link talking really at all ever really. <laughs> there is there was a short Valiant Comics run, um, but the bigger the thing, obviously, this coming from Japan, there were. Uh, Manga adaptations for A Link uh, a link to the Past, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Oracles of Seasons, and Oracle of Ages, Four Swords Adventures, The Minish Cap, and The Phantom Hourglass all have manga adaptations. And I assume, hopefully, we'll kind of, we'll kind of keep getting more as this series go because there's really lots of really great stories to kind of tell and lots of really great artwork to kind of really lend to that style of storytelling. Of course, there's various novels and books and game books and art books. I think the biggest of the art books is definitely going to be Hyrule Historia that released in 2011. And basically, it gives us lots of art, but it also gives us multiple essays about the production of the games, as well as an overarching timeline of the series, which we'll talk about at the end, because that's like the first time we really have that. This is what happens in timelines, Um, which when you look at it, it makes more sense than like, Kingdom Hearts does, so it's fine. Anything it's fine. makes more it's sense fine. than Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> Come on. High bars here. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have, like, academic stuff, like the Psychology of Zelda that Emery was on. And I didn't know if you wanted to take some time here to kind of talk about, like, that book itself and kind of, like, plug that in your chapter and things. Oh, I'd be happy to. So uh, this book in particular is the Psychology of Zelda. It's edited by a psychologist out of Fort Worth. Uh, his name is Dr. Anthony Bean. And uh, we've got quite a few mentions for the chapter, uh, or excuse me, of the book 
in terms of how we broke it up. A lot of this is based on, um, basically Link is an archetype. Um, and we talk quite a bit about who Link is as an orphan, uh, what roles he takes. Um, there's a couple of chapters uh, talking about Zelda. Um, there's a feminism chapter that's really amazing um, that uh, explores uh, Zelda's role within the story. Uh, there's a really cool um, chapter within the music of Zelda and the psychology within uh, how we interpret the music based on nostalgia. Um, and it's it's really that's that's a really fantastic chapter. Um, and then there's the one that I wrote, which again uh, was dealing with Majora's Mask and the Kubler-Ross Stages of Grief, which was actually covered uh, in an episode of Game Theory, um, which was kind of cool. But uh, I decided to take it upon myself to go through every single line of dialogue in Majora's Mask and code for the Kubler-Ross Stages of Grief, um, which if you don't know what those are, those are um, now I'm going to have to try to remember it's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And the way that it was kind of talked about, um, was that each one of these areas in Majora's Mask, whether it be Clock Town, the Deku Palace, uh, the big thing about this was that it was, it was originally framed in game theory as like each section had its own Kubler-Ross stages of grief. And what was interesting was when we coded for everything, we realized that that's not, it's, it's, they've got components of just about every stage in each area of the game, um, which doesn't fit that model very well, but it is very interesting of how we interpret the game as death. Is, in this case, death is really complicated. So you will, so the way Kula Ross described her stages of grief was she said that it's very complex that we might experience some stages more than others. We might experience them again. It might happen in a cycle. Um, so all these different areas uh, have those elements in them, but it's not dedicated to specifically just one. Uh, so that was kind of the main premise behind it. But we had a co-author that decided that they wanted to do like masks of... Um, Masks of Grief, which I thought was really cool. So they automatically said the Deku mask, for instance, was denial because when you start Majora's Mask, you're immediately kicked in the teeth, thrown into a big uh, tree, and, <laughs> and all of a sudden you're a Deku now. And the first thing that Link tries to do is he tries to take off that mask uh, and and has to try to comes to grip with the situation he's been dealt. So um, we, we did it for just about every uh, major mask in terms of the races, whether it be a Deku, a Goron, a Zora. Um, and we even cover the Ocarina as a source of bargaining because of the three-day mechanic. So um, it, it, it's a really cool chapter. Um, I, I would suggest, I mean, just shameless plug, it's, it's, I think, $15 on Amazon. It's a really cheap book, um, but it's got a lot of merit in terms of good psychological concepts. And, you know, these people really know what they're talking about with, not only with uh, psychology, but also Zelda as well. So it, it was a lot of fun writing it. Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. So uh, 
Emery's going to lead the rest of the episode now, and we're just going <laughs> to sit back and... No, but no, it's a lot of really great information, and it's interesting because I think a lot of the stuff is we are going to kind of touch on briefly, like not going to go too deep into it, but I think um, your perspective on the music section I think is going to be super great because uh, music is a super big part of it, and music will be one of our but why those for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, so in terms on the same vein of music, in 2011, Nintendo actually commissioned an original symphony that's toured around and was still touring around. World's kind of shut down right now, so I don't think that they're still going around. But um, 2011 was a pretty big year for Nintendo when it comes to Zelda, for sure. And unfortunately, I couldn't find any official musicals outside of, like, uh, youth groups who were doing musicals and things like that. And, like, you know, ones that they were trying to get off I the ground that looked kind of cool. I want to see a youth group music video. And I heard no, you don't. Same. Absolutely. They're, I mean, they're on YouTube, but I didn't link it because they're, they're pretty bad. They're pretty bad. Um, but like, I will like, say... As bad as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles musical? No, it's just like kids acting. Like, it's just not very good. <laughs> well, they're going to have like, go ninja, go ninja, go. <laughs> but some cool things that do come out of this is that Japan has some pretty dope commercials for the games. For example, the favorite, my favorite one that I found is that, and Kate's automatically clicking on it if, in our show notes. Um, <laughs> there is a commercial for link to the past, which is basically like this J poppy, like dance number thing that like it, it's kind of hard to explain, but we'll, we'll include it in our, in our show notes. I think it's, I think it's that good. Um, so we even, do have that. Hold on, it's not even J Poppy. They're doing like Rhythm Nation, like it's like Janet Jackson, like Rhythm Nation, like intro. If you don't know what that is, it's the Joseph Gordon Levitt. It's oh, the song wow. that Joseph Gordon Levitt uh, lip sync to on Lip Sync Battles. This I, is I don't amazing. even. I, I can just see the 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 main clip of it. This looks amazing. I love it so much. Yeah, it's, okay. it's it's pretty good. It's so it's good. It's pretty good. Uh, so no musical. We do have like that kind of stuff. Show, please. Uh, I mean, numbers. there was supposed to be a live action Zelda series. Now that you mentioned that, but that got shut down pretty quick. So we're not getting <laughs> we're not getting that. So I no why. no hope for you mean the protagonist no hope that for the rhythm nation communicates all in grunts didn't <laughs> do a lot of business there. It's fine. I mean, he just say like he yeah, for like two hours each episode. It's fine. It's fine. So from there, we'll kind of kind of get into some of the but why those, um, and of course, talking about its success and kind of like how successful it is. So while I think many will see Mario and Pokemon as being like Nintendo's golden child and golden children, pets, people, things. <laughs> um, the Legend of Zelda really still kind of holds its weight in terms of success on both the main systems and the handhelds, whereas like Mario and Pokemon really have their kind of like niche where they're doing really well. Because I don't know the last time you played a Mario game on a handheld system, yeah. but I definitely remember playing Zelda on handheld much, much more. Um, and obviously vice versa for, for Pokemon. So... Across all 19 games, the series has sold over um, $100 million, making it one of the best-selling video game franchises, really only losing out to, of course, Mario, Minecraft, Call of Duty, FIFA, Grand Theft Auto, Sims, 
Final Fantasy Need for Speed, surprisingly, has sold a lot of stuff. So I still really? haven't figured out where the Need for Speed stuff comes from, because obviously I lead a lot of the video game stuff. I still have no idea where the hell that shit comes from. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I know like, how it sold I, I so much. I enjoyed them. I don't know if like the first few Need for Speeds just like blew everything out of the water, or there, maybe there's a time that I just don't remember, but yeah. It I'll be honest, so, I'm yeah. surprised for Final Fantasy, honestly. There's a lot of Final Fantasy games. That's why it's yeah, making fair. games that's and then people just keep buying. It's becoming more and more ironic as it goes. I was like, yeah, I mean, kind of like main ones. I think it's like like Need for Speed, Final Fantasy, like Sims. They're all in like that like lowish hundred million dollar range, so they're all pretty close. It's like Mario and Call of Duty that really blowing stuff out. But you also have Madden, Assassin's Creed, and Sims. Like most things, so if you like, if you look at it, it's probably like fifteenth, sixteenth ish. Closer to 20 if you include all the stupid Wii games that still top all of these lists just because they came with the consoles. Because um, of course they do. Yeah, so like it's, it's if you don't count the Wii sports and those different Wii games, it's about like 15 to 16 on that on that list. Because Super Mario is like also kind of broken up into two things. It's kind of weird. But yeah, really, really successful across the 19 games. And even if you look at the the rankings, I won't go through all of them, but if you look at like... Um, the Metacritic ratings, they're mostly in the 90s or high 80s with like some exceptions like The Adventures of Link, which is the second game which people see as like the black sheep of the Legend of Zelda series. Really? Even though it gives us Dark Link. It wasn't Why? that bad. I mean... It's not that bad. Why do they see it as the... Well, I think because it kind of switched up and kind of went more... So like a side-scroller. The thing that I... Yeah, it went from like a side scroller to a not side scroller because you have like the top over over the top thing when you're yeah. kind of going around the map, but then it went to a side scroller and it basically looks a lot like Mario okay. with a Zelda's thing printed on it, which is not as fun and it's kind of harder to do those kind of puzzles and things like that when yeah. you're doing that. So scroller. I will say because Dark Link got a uh, Dark Link got mentioned, my brother. Um, my brother and my little cousin were really, really close growing up. Like, they were essentially like brothers, and they both loved Legend of Zelda. And so they wanted to be Link and Dark Link for Halloween. My, that was the only costume my mom ever sewed in her entire life. It was real janky. I love you, Mom. But it was real janky, and it, but it was fun, and they were happy, and it was adorable. That's a good story. Okay. <laughs> That's a good story, though. Um, so if you kind of look at when all of these games come out, um, one of the things I saw the most and why it probably doesn't sell higher on a lot of these lists is that you get, basically from like 1986, you get Legend of Zelda games almost every year or like every two years. So there wasn't like a big starving need for the Zelda games. So... That's why it doesn't – until you get into, like, the Wii where you get really huge numbers when it comes to what, what they're selling. But basically, you had Legend of Zelda in 1986, The Adventures of Link in 1987, A Link to the Past in 1991, Link's Awakening in 1993, Ocarina of Time in 98, which is the first game on the kind of the uh, the 3D version that we kind of all know and appreciate Zelda for now on the 64. Majora's Mask in 2000, Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons, which is like two different games. That's a very weird one, but that's in 2001. Four Swords, 2002. 
the Wind Waker in 2002. So basically, this is where we're kind of getting to that realm of when they're just releasing games kind of back to back. I'm not going to lie, I don't know any of these games till we get Breath of the Wild. <laughs> Wind Waker was awesome. I remember Wind Waker. Wind Waker's fantastic. My brother yeah. played Wind Waker. It got so much crap, too, because it, was, you know, it wasn't that gritty vibe. Yeah. Uh, and, and Link is just drooling with visual personality. Yeah, and it's also like a lot of people also attribute this to um, the sales for this one because it's only only sold four point four million, which is basically like what the second and like third games do. Yeah. Um, be, mainly, be, a lot of people attribute to like the GameCube just not selling mm-hmm. nearly as well as some of the other consoles. Is another thing that I saw for this as well. The GameCube um, sucked. Oh, you stop it! You stop <laughs> it right GameCube now. The GameCube was amazing. Yeah, I agree. See, I we're not going the there, Matt. Oh, it doesn't matter because see the time frame we're going there next week. We'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, the four adventures in two thousand four also on the GameCube, the Minish Cap just on the Game Boy Advanced, Twilight Princess, which is the first game for the Wii, but was also released basically on the the GameCube, the Wii, and the Wii U. Um, the Phantom Hourglass in 2007 on the DS, Spirit Tracks on the DS. These are the like, these DS games are the ones I didn't play because I didn't have a DS, so I didn't play these games. I really have no idea what they're like. My brother had but all Skyward, <laughs> yeah, I just didn't. I just never got one. I, after after uh, the Game Boy advanced, well, I guess I had an SP, but after the SP, I just didn't get Game Boy games anymore. So, well, by all of them, I guess I only mean. Well, he had a DS, and then I bought him the 3DS, which he played A Link Between Worlds. I don't know if you ever played Triforce Heroes, because that was after my game for my GameStop times. But yeah, definitely didn't thing. play Triforce Heroes. Definitely didn't play A Link Between Worlds, which are for the 3DS, and those come out in 2013, 2015. Um, Breath of the Wild, and of course the latest one, League's Awakening, which is uh, just on the Switch. Whereas Breath of the Wild's on the Switch, or the Nintendo Switch and the Wii U, but. Um, looks like they're going just switch from now on. Haven't played Leaks Awakening. It looks super cute. That's that's yeah, an adorable it game. It looks really cute. Yeah, it looks super cute. Looks like they're trying to go back to kind of like the uh, Wind Wakery kind of <laughs> style of going a little bit more cutesy, which I'm totally okay with. And something Isn't that, that just the remaking of the old 1993 yes. Leaks Awakening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it just looks cute. Looks so cute. Um, I can't be getting new cute games to buy because I already want to buy Chocobo, <laughs> the Chocobo Mystery Dungeon. So here, like, she did not know that the Chocobo Mystery Dungeon series existed. I didn't, but now I have a Switch, so I'm debating what I'm going to download first tonight. Just all of the cutesy. I'm I'm oh. just really disappointed that Crossbow Training Adventures or whatever for. Uh, oh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not putting that on here. I'm sorry. Uh, it was garbage. There. Was there garbage. was for those of you for those of you who don't know there's like a what was it called it was like little like legit crossbow adventures or something like that adventure that sounds like a connect game it basically like was game. just <laughs> links crossbow a... training yeah links crossbow training yeah it was right after uh twilight princess right. and it was yeah really bad sounds it's like a very like about. short game where you just you just shoot stuff with a crossbow and then we kind of go back to this Wii games. This is all your fault because I don't think that game ever gets made if, if it wasn't for um, like Wii games. Yeah. yeah. So it was like a Kinect game. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. leave Star Wars Kinect out of this. 
Yeah, they they took one of the best bosses in all of Zelda, which is Stalord from Twilight Princess, and they just made a mockery of it with crossbow training. <laughs> Definitely. You could have gone I will pew, go, pew, pew, I will go on record. At me, please. <laughs> yeah, and we'll kind of talk about the differences between these games and kind of like why they are so different because we're already kind of talking about like how this game did this thing and how they kind of transitioned to that. And those are like distinct choices that Nintendo makes, which makes this series really great. So if you look at the variety of lists, basically you're going to find, basically like on all-time game list, I couldn't find one that didn't have at least one Zelda game on its list. Uh, in fact, IGN's all-time greatest video games list that was released in 2019 actually has three of the Legend of Zelda games on there. Ocarina of Time at number 25, Breath of the Wild at 5, and A Link to the Past at number 2. And they literally put in a disclaimer there like, hey, Mario and Link and uh, Legend of Zelda games, we're going to only pick the best ones because if we add those on, they're going to take up the majority of like the list. So but, that's the thing with the uh, the OOT one you played with N64. Not that I didn't play that one, but I made a decision. I liked Mario 64 better. And that's <laughs> Matt has yeah, always I mean, that's, been Matt, and that's all you need to know. I, that's that's fine. I mean, just the camera controls, the game just looks better. There's an actual story, you know. Mario that's 64 fine. is great. Thank you very much. I mean, Mario 64 is. I'm not. I'm not yeah. knocking Mario 64. I'm just saying they're just different you games by like design. I heard some disrespect in that stuff there. I mean, the thing with Ocarina of Time is just the better game because it just yeah. does stuff better. The controls are better. I don't think so. I, I think I might have to second that one. Yeah, the controls not, are better. Again, the story is better. The music is, is better. It just did it first, and then we they were able to do stuff better, like the three they were able, they were able to do the three D stuff better in Ocarina of Time, I think. But we'll talk about that when we talk about some like the innovations. Sorry that, that somebody walks so you could run, sir. <laughs> and Z targeting, and come on, man, target locking. Come on, man, target locking alone makes <laughs> that, that the better game for me. I'm target just happy that terrible. I'm not the one dying on a hill tonight. It's not a hill. That's just just them the facts. So. Also interesting, despite not saying much, and by like saying much outside of that animated series and him grunting a bunch, uh, Link is still one of the most highly rated video game characters on all time of all time, giving lots of lists, which is crazy to Question. me. So, is there a list of video game characters that are consistently misnamed, and is he number one? Link probably is. Yeah, <laughs> that's, gotta be, that's a good yeah. question. <laughs> Who else would be on that list? I don't even like, know. I know that's what Doom I'm guy. Maybe Doom, Doom guy. <laughs> Why would he be on the list of miss? I don't know. I don't know because they would just call him like Duke Nukem or something. Maybe that'd just be. Kate. I don't know. That's is, there, is there a game where the protagonist, or excuse me, there's uh, a name for it other than the protagonist? Like it's another character that gets the title screen. Hmm. Maybe any. I'm not any sure. Luigi I mean, because Star Fox. I mean, Fox McCloud would definitely be on there, right? Yeah, but it's yeah, Star Fox. I mean, I guess yeah. you would call him Star Fox. No, you you don't see those guys at the convention who like have the sign who dress up like like him and then who dress up like Fox and they're like, I'm not Star Fox. I'm Fox. Blah 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 blah. There's there's always that one guy we at the conventions for sure. I'm James McCloud. We I'm wearing glasses. <laughs> We need an angry Twitter gamer to let us know who is consistently misnamed because I'm sure they come in and let other people know. 
Um, I, I, yeah. I can't think of one, honestly. I'm sure once this is published, we'll know. Yeah. The only, thing, sure. I could, the only thing I could think Same of as? would be Pika. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's Not a good really. one, dude. Anyways. The yeah, only they thing don't I know this Metroid? Be, I don't know. The only thing I could think of is everybody always forgets that Pikachu is not a starter Pokemon. That's fair. Unless you're playing Not yellow. the same as misnaming, but also fair. No, everybody yes. always, because Pikachu is the main, like, always one of the main characters Pokemon, but he's not a starter. And he's actually not that good. You leave my yeah, baby actually alone. Super hard huh? He, also like Link, should never talk. Yeah, no, definitely. Oh, why did you remind me of that? Stop, please. Unless it's Ryan Reynolds coming out of it. Work this in, and Matt opened the door. Yeah, we, no. we know what Ryan happened Reynolds when is... Zelda talked, and that was Zelda CDI. Which I'm sorry, I have to bring that up. Yeah. As much as yeah, that's the... to Adrian's chagrin. <laughs> yeah, th- those are the those are the games that I didn't put on. <laughs> Because there's a bunch of those. They're where there, it's just... and we have to acknowledge it at least, <laughs> even then, though we don't want then, to. Like Star Wars. Yeah, that's Connect? that's the that's the actual Dark Link. Is, is what <laughs> that, that is. That is the actual Dark Link, Russian Link. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I I found a couple of lists. I'll like leave them in the show notes. But like game designing has Link as number three, with Master Chief being number one. I think we used that when we talked about it on our Halo episode. Times in 2017 has him as number five with Peach being number one. I don't know. The hell? Yeah, what? I don't know if I really like that. I don't one. agree with that. Uh, yeah, I don't agree with that either. Who the hell goes? Independent. Oh, look at this game. I'm going to play Peach. No. This is a Mario Kart. It's Mario's game. Independent has Link as number four with Mario being number one. That's actually like a pretty decent list of, of characters. And I'm really like not sure because even like looking at this list, I know we've talked about it before with, you know, uh, you know, Master Chief and all these other characters who don't really talk a lot or don't have their face shown, but are still like people's like favorite characters. I don't know why that is. I don't know why y'all think it is. But how does a character who has says nothing top a lot of these lists? I yeah, don't, I'm looking I don't at get this. Uh, the B- Big Daddy is 17. He doesn't do much. Hmm. Yeah, they just exist, and they're like, I like that. You I like that guy who exists. But, but, I mean, think about it. If you play Twilight Princess, like, all the women in that game just swoon over Link. And I'm like, what do they see in this person? A hat, especially a sword, Twilight, a shield, sir, Especially Twilight Princess. He has <laughs> no visual communication whatsoever. Well, he a wears sword, dope shield, suits of armor, that's why. That's, that's That must fair. be it. The Zora armor yeah. in that game was really, really cool. Yeah. The cape. Like the, like the strong... It's really the cape. Women the strong silent play. types. So from there, we'll kind of talk about a little bit of the music as we're talking about a guy who doesn't talk, and really there's no talking really at all in any of these games, to be honest. Um, you have the music being the the majority of like what you're hearing outside of like combat noises and things like that. But games in the Legend of Zelda series frequently feature in-game musical instruments, particularly musical puzzles, which are widespread. So even music triggers a lot of the things you see in the game. So, for example, the recorder in The Legend of Zelda can reveal secret areas as well as warp link to the dungeon entrances. Um, Ocarina of Time is basically... The game is called the Ocarina of Time because you have to use an ocarina to do stuff in the game. So... 
even up until the Breath of the Wild Legend of Zelda series avoided using voice acting in speaking roles because they rely heavily on the written dialogue. And this is a intentional choice. So even no matter kind of like where you go in the game and kind of like what um, Emery talked about earlier, no matter where you're going in the game, you know where you're at, particularly with the music. And even in Breath of the Wild, where they kind of go away from kind of the um, orchestral kind of music, where they have a little bit more of the piano-based music, it's still the main part of the game. So you're even if you're not hearing voice acting that is really prominent in some of the other RPGs, I can't think of another game that focuses this hard on the music as kind of like the backdrop of, of the rest of the game. And as they kind of adjust the way they're they're tonally doing their their games, they're also kind of changing the way that they do the overworld music for it as well. So even when the game changes technically, they're also changing the music to kind of match that. So the Wind Waker has a much different feel to the music than, say, Majora's Mask does, which is obviously kind of the darker um, and more gritty type of game. And fun fact, Koji Kondo, who is one of like the biggest composers for um nintendo does a lot of stuff for basically like every game you could think of when it comes to nintendo but primarily mario and zelda wrote the legend of zelda theme in one day a lot oh, like shit. we have hmm. yeah uh apparently there was like they were going to go with a different song but that song was copyrighted so we had to like come up with a new score and that theme which is one of the most recognizable themes came in one day kind of like how we talked about in our halo episode when they did the score, that score in like two days. And I just think it's really cool how like stuff can come out that fast. And those people are that talented that they can create some of the most recognizable scores in that period of time. I mean, it's the same thing that happened with final fantasy. They're like most iconic melody was also written like in like five to 10 minutes for some reason. Like a day. You're like, Hey, we wrote this whole game. Give us the music for it. <laughs> yeah, like final in fantasy, two seconds. This have music's like iconic and everybody knows it, but it's like, yeah, we wrote this in like 10 minutes. It was great. I'm hitting some serious inferiority complex right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> what are you doing with your quarantine time? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Not composing video game music. That is... <laughs> and even if I did, not so, nearly as good. Just do some... Just throw down some sick beats. It'd be fine. <laughs> so we'll kind of go to the, some of the game innovations. So if you listen to the last few episodes of But Why Though, we've done a lot of games recently. And a lot of the stuff where we talk about innovations, it really has been coming down to like, they didn't do it first, but they just did it better kind of things. We've seen that consistently with a lot of the shooters that we've talked about. Um, and even a little bit with some of the RPGs we talked about as well. But Legend of Zelda really does have some interesting firsts. So if you look at game saves in the original Legend of Zelda, that was revolutionary in terms of what it allowed people to do for their games. So it was basically an innovation that would be adapted regularly throughout the cartridge era of consoles, which ran from about the late 90s up until the 64. And the Legend of Zelda's cartridge had a backup battery system that meant that players can actually save their progress and then the game makers were basically allowed to do more with their games because they're not relying on having the storage in the console it's just on the game on basically one of like the little so if you open up like your I mean, don't do this because they're 
probably going to be worth something. But if you open up like your cartridge of <laughs> even your Game Boy games, there's like a little battery in there. So eventually, all of our games that we save for years and years and years are just going to be wiped nope. eventually. No, nope. I will say that was. I, <laughs> I don't believe that it. was one of. The, yeah, I would say that is one of the worst things that ever happened when we got from this, from when we went from the Super NES to the newer generation. Was this whole thing of like, oh, your system will not save games anymore, or your mm. or your game will not save your game progress, where you had to buy memory cards. In the oh, yeah, memory, memory card cards. days. Yeah. Memory card days, man. PlayStation. Oh. So I had a, my Nintendo sixty four. I have, a, I have a my little Nintendo sixty four. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I played. I, my experience for memory cards was I played a NASCAR game back in the day, and I did one of the whole advanced things, and it took me about three hours to do the whole thing of turning left, only to realize I didn't have enough space for my memory card, <laughs> only to realize that I could not actually delete to make space without quitting my game without saving, and so it took me to calling up all my friends to see if I could go to somebody's house to turn on <laughs> their N64 and delete to make space, which never happened, and then I never played that game again. <laughs> turning, turning left takes up a lot of memory. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's. I mean, I'll, I mean, obviously, I was born in '93, so I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was like in the the hard days of playing video games. But when I read that, like, The Legend of Zelda is like the first game to actually have saves for a console, I like. I was like, What, what did y'all do? Like, how did you? How oh, did you oh that, this old fart how... over here can can attest to that. I was born in '85, so. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you that uh, not having that save feature and then going to a friend's house that had Legend of Zelda and I was like, you can save was pretty revolutionary. I don't have to, I'm not going to lie. What I, can't, I don't have to have my mom not turn off I, my console. I was, I, used to, I was used to tanks on Atari. I used to leave that stuff on all night joke. long. I used to leave it on all night long all like, the time because I never I had that feature. What I can't save is I feel like a lot of siblings are lucky to be alive because I'm sure some <laughs> of them were like my cousin's sister in which she would get mad and turn off his thing. No, Ooh, you used no. to leave the consoles on all night long and come back and play the next day when you got home from school because you couldn't save. Yeah. I nope. just remember saving up money to buy a Mad Cat's memory card for my, I don't know if it was Mad Cat's, but it was like the it was like a clear it was like a purple clear memory card for my original PlayStation. Yep. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. It's literally just a memory card. But it no, was No, those like things were purple. awful. I hated me- <laughs> I hate the era of memory cards because it just it sucked and it was just a money grab thing cuz basically like I said you went from like we had this where you could play and save a game in the 90s, and all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, you have to go out and spend $30, $40 on, like, memory cards and hope they had enough space. True. Yes, that sucked. But also, I remember the lie that the Xbox arcades were when you bought them and then tried to, like... Oh, god. Yeah, yeah. And you and could they plug had, in like, your memory card no to play more. Yeah, they had no no memory at all, so you had to, like... I used a USB port for the longest time, or you had to go buy the actual thing to clip in, or one of my friends rigged it to have it run like on a terabyte external hard drive because that was cheaper than buying the uh, the one from Xbox. The Xbox ones were expensive. Yep. This is a lot more back in my day than I thought was going to be in this episode. <laughs> Memory cards hurt me deep, sir. <laughs> Sorry, did they not get you a Dreamcast memory card thing? I actually had to buy a lot no, of them. No, I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm just kidding. They actually had touch screen and little screens that you could play games on in the little memory cards. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> so moving on from there, one of the bigger, one of the biggest things that 
Legend of Zelda kind of contributes to games itself is the target locking feature that we see in Ocarina of Time. Um, and it's called like Z targeting. Obviously, Z if you target. remember the N64, if you have the Z, uh, the N64 controllers, you have Z target by pressing the Z button. Um, and it's basically allowed Link to interact with his environment in a simple kind of unfussy manner. And now basically target locking, I think we take for granted because it's basically in any action RPG game you play really yeah. ever. Um, but Ocarina of Time was one of the first to revolutionize that and put that kind of out into the world. Some games um, have actually done it pretty bad of late with target, I guess not, not necessarily target yeah. locking, but target lock. The most part, and then the yeah. camera starts spinning. The yeah, and that's what that that part like why the, I had, the I hard had, target locking. Yeah, because that's part of the thing. Because I'm like, oh, I was like, man, I when you first brought it up, I was like, man, I hate that feature. And they're like, oh wait, well no, that feature is actually great. I'm thinking more of the target lock that they've introduced with other stuff that ends up being like, you can focus on this, and then you're like, yeah, I now just want to throw up. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm talking about just like the the snappy yeah. kind of uh, fast paced thing, which is really you know big at that time for sure. Um. So we'll kind of go to some of the stuff that's not necessarily focused on, or like the first, but the open world adventure. Again, like while Legend of Zelda definitely isn't the first to kind of do this, the series definitely was made with the intention of being nonlinear. And like it's so much, like the first game is so nonlinear, you can actually get all the way to Ganondorf in the first game without even stepping foot in the cave at the very beginning. I mean, obviously, you can't kill Ganondorf because you kind of need the sword to land that final blow. But you can get all the way to Ganondorf in that game without ever going to talk to that old man, which is pretty cool. Don't know why you'd want to do that. It's a game to be very hard <laughs> if you did that. Um, and even in terms of open world adventure, The Legend of Zelda, the very first one, the exploration and the world design is heavily influenced by um, Miyamoto's experiences as a child. Um, basically he was hiking around and found a lake or he was quoted as saying, I went hiking and found a lake. It was quite a surprise for me to stumble upon it. When I traveled around the country without a map, trying to find my way, stumbling on amazing things as I went, I realized how it felt to go on. I realized how it felt to go on an adventure like this. And basically he took that and threw it into kind of his work to develop Legend of Zelda, which is why you have all these open um, worlds and kind of expansive explorations, even down to like the handheld versions of the game. And while like they're not really the same kind of games, Zelda does predate Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. Um, so even though they're not the same kind of uh, RPGs, Zelda does lay that groundwork to give us those two really, really great RPGs in that open world fashion. And then from there, one of the things I like most about Zelda, it's kind of how we've talked about in Final Fantasy, where every sequel is not made in the same kind of way. Whereas Final Fantasy kind of has like different stories and Legend of Zelda kind of goes off the same premise. They definitely change up how each of the Legend of Zelda games plays. And they're not afraid to kind of go after it. So they've gone to like dark, like in... Like dark and gritty with like the Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Twilight Princess, and then they are not afraid to kind of switch it up entirely and go more cartoony, like Wind Waker. Um, they're not afraid to do multiplayer stuff, like with Triforce Heroes and Four Swords, with basically like no voice options and kind of leaving that up to like the players to figure out how to get people to do what they want to do. 
And then you have like your kind of your missteps like with the second game. But I mean, they're not afraid to do whatever it takes to kind of push the boundaries on the sandboxy RPG. Because at the heart of it, it's basically just all about exploration and the puzzles and some combat. And I think that's like abundantly clear in Breath of the Wild because they basically give character or players the ability to do whatever they want in that in their own progression with a huge map. Like the Breath of the Wild map is 12 times larger than the Twilight Princess map. And I remember in Twilight Princess thinking like this is the most immersive game ever because it's so huge and twilight princess or breath of the wild is basically size wise like the size of like kyoto japan which makes sense because that's where he uh or miyamoto grew up and had those experiences so what is the largest game that's what we need to figure out what has the largest sandbox that's what we should figure out for some somebody to let us know this Probably not. No. Yeah, I want to say Skyrim. Skyrim, Probably not. not, not. I can tell you right now, it's not even the largest ESO game. Uh, there, fair ES, enough. Uh, your ES game. It's, sure. it's something, it's something well, to be said. it might be, but I'm pretty sure it's not. For, for Breath of the Wild, though, because you know, a lot of people at the time were really complaining that uh, Zelda games were getting too linear, that you had a certain order that you had to beat everything in, and Breath of the Wild decided to flip that on its head and go back to its roots um, from the first Zelda game. And I mean, if you go like, go on YouTube and watch speed runs, you will see people that go straight from the tutorial to Ganon's castle. And you can do that. It's not advised if you're not a very good (laughs) player, uh, which I am not. So I explore everything that I possibly can to get all the added benefits of beating Ganon. But you you technically can do that. And and that was kind of a, a cool point of, you know, some people that were, you know, big influencers that were saying, you know, we, we like a lot of these Zelda games, but let, let's be honest, it's Forest Temple, Fire Temple, Water Temple, you know, in that order. Yeah. So I looked up the largest games, uh, the largest sandbox games. Number one is No Man's Sky. Two is mm. Spore. Three is Star Control. Two, the Urquan Masters. Four is Minecraft. At one point. See, I thought I thought Minecraft was a, the top one because Minecraft is one point five billion square miles. And yeah, then, but No Man's Sky covers a universe, Kate. Yeah. That, that's yeah. essentially. <laughs> <laughs> uh, five is Elder Scrolls Two. Yeah, that's Daggerfall. Daggerfall. That's why I knew. That's why oh, I knew. Okay. I was like, Daggerfall was by far the largest Elder Scroll game. Yeah. That's why I was Fair like, enough. Six is Fuel. Seven's The Crew. Eight is Final Fantasy Fifteen. Nine 15 is huge. That is actually interesting to hear that one. And 10 is Xenoblade Chronicles 10. I don't want to play Xenoblade. Okay, we're not going yeah. to go down that road. I, want, I have a yeah. Switch now, so I can't. <laughs> Agreed. I, I want to play Xenoblade. <laughs> we're not going down that one. <laughs> yeah, but uh, speaking of roads, we'll go down as we kind of wrap up. Um, so there's lots of games, right? And for the longest time, we didn't really have a timeline because basically you had... The first game, and then the second game was a sequel, and then like the third game was a prequel to the first two games. So you couldn't really figure out what was going on. Um, but in 2011, as you mentioned before, you have um, the art book that comes out that kind of gives us a timeline. I'm going to do my best to explain this quickly because <laughs> it might not be as complicated as like Kingdom Hearts, like as as we said, but 
it's still kind of crazy. And I think it was just like, (laughs) um, and I think the coolest thing about this is that they had this timeline for a long time, but the developers decided not to release it because they wanted to leave it up to the fans to kind of determine where stuff fit in, which is sometimes a good idea, but sometimes it's not. Uh, What is that ever a good idea? Um, to hide lore from their mods, uh, <laughs> game mods is like the first thing that comes to my head. Look, really look, from, from software has done. That's like their whole mo is yeah. hiding all their lore so that fans can argue about it on Reddit all day long. Yep. Yeah. I'm basing my first d- damn stream on that, <laughs> and it's gonna be awesome and terrible at the same time. I guarantee it. <laughs> Yeah, Fair so <laughs> what I did is like I'll I'll leave like the page that has the timeline in our show notes, but I'm gonna try and kind of walk us through it a little bit. Um so even though it came out much later in two thousand eleven, Skyward Sword is actually and this is, let me preface this again. I'm not talking about all of the other off brand like Off-brand. whatever I'm, I'm talking about like the main <laughs> games not like the ones that emory was talking about earlier because that would just take us a whole another rabbit hole so i'm just gonna <laughs> stick with just the official nintendo stances great value does not come back. <laughs> <laughs> so skyward sword in 2011 is actually like the first first game um and which makes sense because this is like the one where you don't even really fight um Ganondorf, you're fighting like the Demon King, and you have like Zelda being reborn from like a goddess, and like the Master Swords being forward, forwards. So that's what we got first. Then we have the Minish Cap that comes out in two thousand or two thousand four, and this one basically gives us like the Four Swords and like the Legends of the Four Swords, which would give us the next game, which is Four Swords, that comes out in 2002 so like a little bit of back and forth there and then ocarina of time in 96 basically is where everything goes crazy because this is where we have ganondorf and then the triforce splits which also splits our timeline up a little bit and we get essentially three different timelines because the game is called ocarina of time so of course different times different things happen so they basically split it up between uh, Link winning and splitting that into two different timelines and then Link losing and putting that in its own timeline. With me so far? This sounds awful, but sure. <laughs> no. So no, not with you. Don't know what's happening. Th- this, is, so, this, is, this is like multiple universes with Bioshock Infinite, except not good. So basically, at this point, all you need to know is at the end of Ocarina of Time, when you beat Ganondorf, there are different timelines that uh, canonically happen after that. So either you beat him or you don't beat him. If you beat him, Link has a choice whether he stays between being a child or being an adult. So you have an adult timeline and then like a child timeline. So in the adult timeline, he stays an adult. Ganondorf is sealed away, and you basically don't see him ever again. So you have, in the adult timeline, Wind Waker in 2002, where Link stays a kid and decides to go to be a pirate. 
Um, and then Spirit Tracks in 2009, where apparently he dies to go be a locomotive operator with like trains and stuff. Because, you know, adults do what adults do, right? <laughs> okay. Sure. Th- this is Engineer Link, was what we'll. <laughs> Yeah, he's engineer link. link. Yeah, he's steam. It's steampunk link. Yeah, steampunk um, link. I like that. <laughs> and then you have the um, the child timeline where he stays a child, and Ganondorf isn't locked away. He's just stopped for a little bit. So Majora's Mask in two thousand goes to Twilight Princess in two thousand six, and then Four Swords Adventures in two thousand four. And this is like just basically different variances of Ganondorf. Getting out and coming back and like doing stuff. And those most but, are depressing games. So those are like broody link. Yeah, like I think like was like the dark era and like the shadow era. There's yeah. like what those games are classified into in like the timeline of they're very dark. Even no. though it's like the child timeline, they're very dark. Z- link link becomes an animangus because he can transform into a dog and a Deku and a Goron. That's yeah. what it is. That's. That's what it is. So we have Steampunk and we've got Animangus Link. <laughs> and Pirate Link. I believe in Link. I believe in all these versions of Link. I want them all to meet. I want Super Smash, but I... just different Links. Steampunk Link. Come on. Make it happen. Yeah. Um, and then in the other timeline, for whatever reason, they decide that Ganondorf actually beats Link and he's like locked away. So you have a Link to the Past in 91. Link's Awakening, um, the Link's Awakening game, so that includes the 2019 version, uh, Oracles of Seasons and Oracles of Ages, A Link Between Worlds, Triforce Heroes, then the first Legend of Zelda, then the second, um, and then the Adventures of Link, basically. So different various variations of, because essentially, like what the first few games establish is that th- basically Ganondorf. Link and Zelda are all kind of locked in this eternal thing where they're like reincarnated and Ganondorf's mission is always to kill Zelda and kill Link. It's like his thing every single time. So various iterations of that for some of the games. But again, some of the games don't even have Ganondorf in it because they're pre-Ganondorf being alive. And then Breath of the Wild is kind of like basically everywhere. I try to figure it out and kind of look at it. <laughs> um, I think the best way to look at Breath of the Wild, I think it's just like a flash forward where all the timelines are converging, like like the Speed Force or something, mm-hmm. because you have so many elements from all three of these timelines kind of like in one game with the different materials that are there, the different creatures you see, some of the lore. So Breath of the Wild, I think, is like the reconverging of timelines but nintendo also hasn't said so it's like fan theories like just say where it's at nintendo so we can stop making youtube videos about it <laughs> so i watched like four different youtube videos and they all said vastly different things i want to call the one that uh oh go ahead sorry i was gonna say i'm just very confused but excited to play breath of the wild <laughs> yeah just play breath of the wild because then you don't have to worry it's about fine. any of the timeline stuff just because it's exactly. just there it's fine <laughs> I, I want to call the the one where Gandorf or excuse me, where Link loses. Um, Link seems like a tryhard in all those games, so I'm going to call him Shonen Link. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's so I think good. that's very fair, actually. Is Zelda a soft boy? 
I mean, is Link a soft what? boy? Does, it, does that not work here? No. Is Link not a soft boy? Okay. I mean, he doesn't talk. It's, he's pretty he soft. too much is like Zelda. a child for me to make the, the, the description. I mean, Wind Waker Link is in the adult timeline. He looks pretty soft there. Also, so in all of this, we haven't talked about Zelda at all, even though it is named after her. Because this is to Matt's point, uh, Zelda isn't in all of the games. Link is, and you never really play as Zelda, except for like the off games that are about Zelda. And we only have an hour, and Zelda is, for a lot of the games, doesn't do very much. I'm sorry. It's it's this a is sh- Super Smash Brothers. It's a shame She's there to be saved. There's like, I would say, only a couple of games where Zelda plays a big, big role. Um, you could argue it with Ocarina of Time. You could argue it with Breath of the Wild. You could argue it with Twilight Princess. My favorite adaptation was with Wind Waker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which um, I don't know. I I feel like if I were to mention that, I'd spoil it. It's been a while. <laughs> it's fine. The game's the game's been out. It's a pirate. For... Ca- she's a pirate captain. And, oh, that's really yeah, cool. She's a badass. Yeah, yeah. She's awesome in that game. Yeah, it's just one of those things where, again, like she's just so vastly different in a lot of the games, and like her literal eternal struggle is to be chased by Ganondorf, um, which is also like why I think this episode will probably need like a revisit in the future once they start doing more games that are kind of like more linear. Um, because you can talk all day about like Ganondorf's different types of evil character because he, he's not necessarily like his intentions are the same, but he just kind of goes about things in vastly different ways in some of the games. Uh, Link. Yeah. It's, it's just tough. It's just, it's like, it, it reminds me of like the, like the conversation about like why we didn't include Cortana. Like Cortana is super cool. But also isn't the main focus of like the game. I wanted to talk about Zelda, but we also don't have a whole lot of time. I just asked and a I question. To talk. I don't play these games. I don't know. I just know she's my character. In Smash. Yeah, just don't attack me. All right. Just listen, don't, listen. Don't when talk. when Breath of the Wild two comes out and she's the main character, which yeah. everybody thinks that's what it's alluding to, including me for that matter. Um, you know. Yeah, definitely. Then, then we'll have a lot more to talk about. She just looks dope. So she does. This is also true, right? Like, she she looks dope, and we don't really get, like... I mean, we do in some of the games, but she's... We don't ever really get that as much as we probably should in a lot of the games. Agreed. That's probably, like, more of a knock on the game. But also, it's about you playing Link, so... Until they go straight Zelda... But her name is on the, the game. Peach's, Peach's, Peach's name isn't on the game. Tell her to stop getting kidnapped. <laughs> Might as well just be Peach at this point. <laughs> And Zelda wasn't number one on that list or any of the other lists that I've looked at. So that's, oh, that's fair. unfortunate. Her name is still on the game. Yeah. <laughs> Peach's name isn't on the game. She's she's cashing in royalty checks. She's cashing in royalty checks because this kind of gets me into my fun facts. I think Mario Brothers. I mean, I think the only reason why Zelda's name is on the thing, and this kind of goes into our fun facts, but Miyamoto just likes the name Zelda. Like he literally named <laughs> Zelda because of Zelda Fitzgerald. He heard he heard the name like once. From Scott uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald's wife, and he was like, "I like that name. Let's call that the thing." So I think he just likes the word the word Zelda. I don't know really she how much. Also, that's, uh, she was also ahead, a famous sorry. person in her own right too. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's Robin Williams' daughter, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Her name is Zelda, and they had mm-hmm. a commercial. 
or they were playing they did. a Legend of Zelda. I can't remember which game it was, but I think it was a Link to the Past. I think. Off I, don't the top of my head, I think it was Link to the Past. Yeah, but very heartwarming. It is. Yeah, that's probably my favorite one. Other than so, this, Zelda Link to the Past Japanese uh, dance commercial here, <laughs> which I need to watch as soon as we're done. And then, kind of going from there, every dungeon in Zelda's game, the main the main quest, basically fit together on screen and add up to a perfect rectangle. I thought Matt would like this fun fact. So all of the dungeons make a perfect rectangle, and this isn't specifically just a nod to Nintendo's like uh, player base, but it's mainly just so they can compact all the data into like one spot, basically. But if you put them all on a map, they all look like a rectangle. And if you ever watch Matt, if you've ever watched Matt play Planet Zoo, Matt loves his rectangles and his squares. So one, rectangles are great, and two, it's been proven people love rectangles. Three, I make everything in rectangles. So there's a show on Netflix called Explained, and they do an episode on beauty. And essentially, the default in a lot of architecture and design are rectangles because they're not as boring as a square, but people like even things. Uh, I guess also I put this in here because of Matt too. Uh, Link is left-handed, with the exception of Twilight Princess, the Wii version, not the GameCube version, Skyward Sword, and Breath of the Wild, because of the motion controls for the Wii and the Switch. They have to switch it because most of the world is right-handed. I know. See what I'm talking about? The we got to make all controls for stupid right-handed sure. people. Exactly. Yeah, so they raced Link's left-handedness in those games, with the exception of the GameCube. In the GameCube, they do keep him left-handed because there's no motion control there. So there you go, Matt. There's your GameCube fact. Um, Link's Awakening was inspired by Twin Peaks, which I thought was kind of cool. Oh, that's and then, cool. That is cool. Yeah. And then in the original version of Final Fantasy, you can find Edric, the hero of Dragon Warrior, buried in Elfheim. I have no idea what, the, what I just read in that <laughs> sentence. Um <laughs> Game but pass. in the original let, let Jap- cool. <laughs> <laughs> but in the original Japanese version, the grave belonged to Link instead. So you can go to like Link's grave in the Japanese version of Final Fantasy of the original Final Fantasy. That's cool. Um, yeah. On on Soul, Cal- of- on Soul Calibur two, you can play as Link on the GameCube version. Yes. Yeah, you can get like Link's stuff in. Oh, them days where we had three different consoles with three different versions of the same game. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you had the you had three different versions of Twilight Princess, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's really all I got. Um, I think when Breath of the Wild two comes out, and I like I'm in your camp to Emery. I'm, I'm hoping that they kind of switch it up again, yeah. and they do go that route. I think it'd be really cool to have um, have you back on for like a revisit where we kind of dive deeper into like the character of Link and maybe even more of like the lore. Maybe not the timeline stuff, but just kind of like how they do that storytelling stuff. Since this yeah. is kind of just more of a overview of the series because there is a lot to the series. It's been around for a long time, and I don't think it's going anyway going away anytime soon because people like the series and Nintendo likes money. And yeah, Breath of the Wild sold like eighteen million copies or something like that so yeah. they're, they're they're doing all right ha- well happy to be uh, on again but uh yeah yeah no it's i mean it's a great series for sure and i will be buying more for sure will you be writing more yeah. books Ooh, that's um a good question. 
for Zelda, I'm not sure, but we actually have a book coming out. I just finished my edits and turned them in today for uh, Psychology of Final Fantasy. Oh. Well, that works, so, too. So, I talk... Yeah, so in, in line with everything that I was doing with Kubel Ross Stages of Grief with Death, uh, I was assigned talking about genocidal cults in Final Fantasy X. Ah, that's so cool! Which is awesome. It's a, it's a really cool... I think it's a really cool chapter. Question. But I, I was like, man, I am labeled as the Doctor of Death. My God. Question. <laughs> Did you yeah. use Chittisur's Salvation and Suicide in that? No. Um, what I did was I talked about cognitive dissonance of Yuna's journey, um, with everybody as they kind of come to grips with, um, the preachings of Yu Yevin. But I also talk about parasocial relationships and that everybody has this, uh, foundational religion around Yu Yevin and have never met said person, yeah. never talked to them or Unaleska. So, um, That's but really I'm cool. Yeah, I'm talking about how parasocial relationships are one of the basis of cults and how we come with cognitive dissonance until yeah. it's way, way too late. That's really cool. I'm only asking because I, I TA'd a class on uh, apocalypse groups. Uh, so, oh, okay. And I, and I specifically taught Jonestown. Uh, and Salvation and Suicide oh, is, wow. one of the, like, is one of uh, the best books detailing Jonestown. Um, it's from David Chittister. He's a, religi a religious study scholar. Um, and it goes into the depth of, uh, it goes into the accounts from the people themselves. So instead of saying Jim Jones is entirely bad, it says, we're going to look at why these people chose to come to Jonestown and do this. And it breaks down the fact that it was one of the first integrated churches and like, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, it's really, really interesting because it also deals with that cognitive dissonance that ends up happening once they get to yeah. I just like that you're a deaf doctor. You're not my favorite doctor. <laughs> God. Yeah, so we'll just kind of go around with final thoughts, and then Kate can get us out of here, and we'll start with Matt. Um, I know Zelda is important. I still like Mar Super Mario over <laughs> Zelda, and sometimes you just got to choose, and when you make a choice, you stick to your choice. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> Also Matt in cult literature. What? I said that has said. always been Matt. Um, but no, it, but outside of that, um, I know I didn't realize there was that many games. I knew it was a big thing. I knew Breath of the Wild. It looked good. I've seen people walk, play it before. Obviously, like I said, for the good last 10 plus years, just never had the Switch. Or actually going on probably about 20 years. Not just a Switch, but any really Nintendo product. I mean, we're probably going, yeah, probably since like 2000 or so, so... As long as it just stays there, maybe one day I'll get to go back and play it. I, I always known it was good. I always knew it was important. Definitely one of the franchises I never like. Like, oh, I don't like this. It's just I never really experienced it. I played it, like I said, when I was a child and then just went on to other things. But no. Um, well, yeah. now you have a pink, a gray pink switch at the house. So, you know, maybe if you're nice enough, Kate will let you play. Uh, what about you, Kate? Um, I just like learning a lot. Uh, listening to to y'all talk about Breath of the Wild and stuff actually makes me really, really excited to jump into it. I don't know when I'll get a chance to, but I'm, I mean, not doing much these days. So, <laughs> uh, I can't wait to try that. I mean, I it is, 
it's a giant blind spot for me in the world of gaming, and it's funny because that's always the gamer girl stereotype, is that you only ever played Zelda, and whereas, like, me and all the other women that I knew who gamed all played Call of Duty, so we're like, what? Why is this a stereotype? I've learned why now, but it's been very weird for me, because uh, it is that giant blind spot. I was one of those osmosis things, but I can definitely see why people love it, um, and I'm excited to get involved in the world myself. Yeah, great. And I mean, just for me, like, my, the biggest thing that I love about the series is that you just get something different a little bit every single time. Um, and then for a while there, I didn't have a Wii or a Wii U, so I kind of missed out on some of those um, early 2000s years. But now that I have a Switch, I have no excuse why I can't play Zelda games. So I'm back in it, and I'm excited to be back in it. And if I start playing Final Fantasy fourteen, and I feel like that's just going to suck all my time, but eventually... Eventually, we're coming back to you, Breath of the Wild. We're gonna, Final we're gonna Fantasy fourteen it. is worth it, and I'm pretty sure there's a lot of cults in that <laughs> game as well. Probably, yeah. probably. Yeah. Fifteen I mean, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what about you, Emery? For our last final thoughts, I I think there's something to be said for the Legend of Zelda. Is one of the reasons that I like anime as well. Is that there's very much the attaching identity to a character, um, and it's also very much a um, you know, you you against the world, but really overcoming challenges as you go. You're becoming stronger. Um, and I, I just, I love that about any kind of game series of, uh, or any kind of mediated series that I feel better and I feel motivated um, after playing it. And, and I think that's just one of the things that Legend of Zelda does remarkably well. Uh, and it's one of the reasons I keep coming back to it. Awesome. Get us out of here, Kate. Cool. Well, if you liked what you're listening to and you want to support us a little bit more, head on over to patreon.com slash butwhythoughpc. And you can follow us on social medias at butwhythoughpc. And Emery, thank you so much for coming on. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Yeah, uh, first and foremost, thank you for having me again. I'm, I'm always excited to be a part of this when you know, I have the opportunity. Um, my Twitter handle is where you can reach me. I'm at FUSRODOC, F-U-S-R-O-D-O-C. Um, and I post, uh, right now I'm posting a lot about Persona 5 Royal, but um, I do a lot on streaming with uh, a company called Geeks Like Us. And um, yeah, I talk a lot of video games, a lot of social science, that kind of thing. So come find me on Twitter. Adrian? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-S-E, 93. Matt? I still made right, the right decision by taking Super Mario 64. 